Welcome to the Awakening Podcast Network. Get ready for an inspiring audio from this cutting-edge voice. You can find more podcasts at awakeningpodcasts.com. You want to go deeper? Get equipped to overcome and walk in God's purpose for your life at Awakening House of Prayer's online campus. You'll experience an online family, preaching, teaching, and prophetic impartation for victorious living. We have over a thousand members online hungry for what God is saying and doing in the earth. Visit ahop.online today and join our family. AHOP TV empowers believers with spirit-inspired messages and strategic equipping that accelerates your spiritual growth. You can subscribe to stream weekly content from Awakening House of Prayer, conferences, and other exclusive content to stir your hunger and encourage your heart. Visit us online at ahop.tv. I want you to quickly turn your Bibles to two scriptures, two passages I want to speak this morning. Um, but there is a, you know, there is a supernatural pursuit behind that. There are times in your life, I'm prophesying, everything I do from this point forward, say, somebody say this point forward, is prophetic. So I'm prophesying to somebody, even in what I'm saying now, that there are times in your life you've got to make up your mind that you will not leave until the Lord blesses you. It is not that God isn't going to do it. It's that we leave too quickly. So Israel had to grab a hold. Jacob had to grab a hold of the angel. The angel said, I don't know why I keep gravitating. Y'all be my amen corner over here. (laughs) And so he had to grab a hold of the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said, you got to let me go. Now, there's a revelation behind that as to um, our ability as believers to commission angels. Why couldn't the angel of the Lord just break loose? He had more authority at that time than Jacob did because he was in the realm of earth. He was in the realm of earth. And as we are raised to life in Christ, we who were made lower than angels have now been elevated above angels. And when angels are in earth, they've got to hearken unto the word of the Lord. Where is the word of the Lord? Hidden in our heart. So as we speak, they're commissioned to do the will and the ways of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. But there are so when when an angel comes, the Bible says every good and perfect thing comes from. I'm trying to help you. This isn't where I'm preaching. I'm just trying to help somebody. So in order for it to come from above to below it has to be by way of messenger so that messenger is what it's an angel of the lord there's angels that literally hearken into the presence just to capture what is supposed to be released into your life amen so there are two ways that you walk in your destiny one from within holy spirit within has gives you all the knowledge and wisdom you will ever need to fulfill that number two is that the crops the plants the blessing that you never tilled for you never planted you never stewarded comes by way of favor as because god loves you by implementation from angelic host into your life whether you can see them or can't see them you need to understand the way God operates and so when you know the way God operates what you have to do is you have to wrestle with that angel until it gives up what God has commissioned in your life so there is there when you feel the presence of God stirring within your belly and there's a need within your life what you cannot afford to do is to be somebody who gets weary in well-doing because you'll reap if you what if you don't faint so you can't afford to get weary you got to tell your soul you got to tell everything in your life 
For once in your life, you need to put paws on your belly. You need to hang up your cell phones, Apple phones, put them on you, airplane mode. And you need to say, for once in my life, nothing is more important than to encounter God in the magnitude of my need. So my theory is that God exponentially wants to do more in our lives. It's just we leave too early. Oh, (laughs) amen. So I have two scriptures I want to, I'm going to, I'm actually going to go to more scriptures, but two I want you to lay hold on. The first one is found in John chapter one. The next one's found in Matthew chapter 25, if you're going there. John chapter one, Matthew chapter 25. John one, one through five reads like this in the beginning. Somebody say the beginning in order to understand that you have to go to the beginning. Amen. The greatest revelations of God you will understand is in Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, the word already existed and the word was with God and the word was God. And he existed in the beginning with God. God created. Now, I want to pause there because I want to give you another revelation. What is the beginning? Is the beginning the beginning of the earth? Was it the beginning of the universes? Was it the beginning of the galaxies? Was it the beginning of uh, civilization? Was it the beginning of first man? What is the beginning? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand God who has no beginning. So the beginning was the one without the beginning. We have to, we are on the only, we have to operate by time. But because God exists out of time, the beginning is one that has no beginning or end. If you can, why am I talking like this? I'm in like this prophetic mode deep right now. If you'll catch what's on my life right now, you'll. So, so what he, what John one's in, I, this is not my sermon. I'm going with it. <laughs> what John one's inviting you into is a supernatural way of existing with God because God has no beginning or end. What is the beginning? If you could understand that the door you walk through is your beginning and your end and your end and your beginning, you would look at things a whole lot different. The same door that is your ending is your beginning because there is in God, there is no time gaps. In the spirit, when God says I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it isn't like you're looking at the calendar and remembering yesterday, then you're thinking of today, then you're thinking of tomorrow as Monday. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, or tomorrow, meaning God within himself is all of those things at the exact same time. Meaning God can redeem your past, set up your present, and enable your future all at the same time. In the beginning. What's the beginning? It is. Why is it is? Because I am. What is I am? I am the beginning. And I am the end. I am the first. I am the last. I am the alpha. I am the omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. I'm the author. I'm the finisher. I'm the way. I'm the truth. So what we're looking for is not... A, 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 to go backwards or forwards, we're looking unto him, the author and the finisher. What if I told you that if you could fix your eyes on Jesus, he could redeem your past and set up your future at the exact same time? In the beginning. What's the beginning? It was your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Oh, I'm trying to help somebody. How do I know that? Because he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Psalms 139, 16 says, before you were born, there was already a book about your entire life written out. So within the confounds of Christ Jesus is your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And looking unto him, he can redeem everything about your yesterday while setting up your today to propel you into your future tomorrow. You're not looking into a Monday. You're looking into him. Oh, gosh. The perfecter of your faith. Who 
cares what tomorrow is? My tomorrow's Jesus. Because if you begin to look at tomorrow, you will begin to try to yield a harvest from the world. <laughs> if you look at your tomorrow, you, you'll get frustrated because you got to go to work. But if you look at Jesus, you'll know it's a mission field. <sighs> mm. In the beginning. So that your beginning of everything has to be blessed because in the beginning was God. Your ending has to be blessed because the in the ending is God. It is impossible to be a believer and your beginning and end not be blessed. The only way that your beginning and end is not blessed is when you operate within the world system of calculated times of seasons. Wow. So because I exist in Jesus, somebody say exist in Jesus. Because I exist in him, my beginning and end has to be blessed. I know I might go through some things in the process, but my beginning and end has to be blessed. Meaning coming into 2019 is going to be blessed and leaving 2019, you're going to be blessed. You will no longer be subject to what takes place in 2019. Your beginning is Jesus and your end will be Jesus. The rest is just you walking through and growing with Christ. Ay, 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 ay. If you can live in the supernatural, if you can live in the realms of the spirit, you can be at the end of 2019 while you're at the beginning. Meaning I can already see what it's going to look like before it even happens. I call it blessed. I say I'm the head and not the tail. I say I'm blessed coming and I'm blessed going. I say that the oil of the balm of Gilead rests upon my head. I say that everything I touch is going to be blessed. I can already see the end from the beginning. So in the beginning, what was the beginning? The end in the beginning just is. It just is. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh boy, I need to preach actually. I need to get on this word. Okay. Stop. Oh my gosh, what God. Why Stop allowing what you go through to dictate who God is and what he can do in your life. You got to rise up in, in your authority and begin to speak to your situation seated inside of Christ as the beginning of the end and declare that this may be happening for a moment, but God has already declared my end. And he declared it before I ever began in this season. Before anything I ever did, before anything ever happened, I am not subject to a failure. I am not subject to a fall. I am not subject to what the calamity. I'm not subject to the hurt because God already called my end blessed before I ever began it. So you've got to rise up in this. In the beginning was the word. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the word gave life. To everything that was created. And his life brought forth light. I'm having a ring up here. If I don't know how we can. Somebody say his life brought forth light. It is not the other way around. If you exist the other way around, that's how you get organized religion. Anytime you try for light to bring forth life, you will get organized religion. Let me give you an example. There was a time in dispensation where we thought holiness was women wearing their hair to their ankles, dresses to their ankles, no piercings, no this, no that, no this. And we declared the rightness or righteousness of God by way of what we seen rather than posture of our heart. Now, I still believe in holiness. Oh, come on, somebody. 
But holiness wasn't about the way you looked. Holiness was about who you were in love with. It was from a place where my heart was postured, bowed low to the ground, and it produced righteousness or it produced me wanting to be like the one who is holy. And so what the church was trying to do was get the appearance before the heart transformation. They wanted light to produce life. It can never happen. It don't matter if you tell people they got to wear suits and dresses every day of their life. They'll stand before God and still go to hell because it wasn't transformation of the heart. It was transformation of your appearance. So God said life produced light, meaning the transformation in the life being raised to life with Christ is what produced us to looking like Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and life produced light. I remember uh, at our home church, there was this girl that came in. Have I told the story about the prostitute who got saved? And, and she was she was a known prostitute, and she's coming in, and she looks like her profession. And when we came in, some of the mamas of the house started saying, you need to tell her to wear different clothes and wear this. And I said, well, I can do that. But then she would just be a well-dressed prostitute. I wasn't being mean. I was being real. You can dress sin up, but it's still underneath it. It's just sin dressed up. I said, or we can learn to love her because she doesn't know Jesus. And every time she comes in, you can hug her neck and tell her that she's loved because the goodness of God causes people to repent. Now, if you've been saved for 10 years and you still dressing like that sin, you got something wrong in your life. That sin should lose hold on you when you get raised up to life with Christ. I said, oh, we could just love her and admonish her and lift her up because she don't know Jesus. And Paul said, sinners do what sinners are supposed to do. Why we get mad when people are sinning? Let, I pray this house gets full of prostitutes and homosexuals and addicts so that they can come into the love of Jesus Christ. Why you get mad at people for doing what they know to do as sinners? They don't know Jesus. Now, when they come into Jesus, you get walk them through deliverance. You disciple them. You train them and you teach them how to live holy lives, consecrated and separated under God. And she came in. This was six months, man. And I get it. I get it. If you can imagine, you know, the, the, the clothes, it was it was crazy. But but she didn't know Jesus. So we just kept loving her. Six months later, I was preaching. Sermon. I don't even know what it was on. I can't even remember. Had nothing to do with holiness. All of a sudden, this girl broken starts walking down the aisle. She bows her knees down and gives her life to Jesus. She gets baptized in the Holy Ghost immediately. And she comes up and she was wearing shirts that would show her cleavage and stuff. And she comes up and automatically just starts covering herself up. Why? Because life produced light. The transformation of the heart began to transform her appearance. And from glory to... Mm -hmm. All right. So life, somebody say life produces light. Mm-hmm. Matthew 25. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king shall say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world or since the beginning. What's the beginning? I am. Your beginning just started at the creation, but he was always the beginning. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, did we, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you or the thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and we clothed you? When did we see a, or the sick or someone in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one as least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me or unto me. And then he will say those who is left, my city is left. It's never good to get the left hand of fellowship, by the way. <laughs> Depart from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire prepared by, uh, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger in need of clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one, as least of these you did not do for me. And they will go away in internal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Somebody say amen. I have got a a a burden in my spirit from the Lord. And as I've been hanging out with God for um, the last uh, several weeks, the Lord has been speaking to me about sheep nations and goat nations. And I, although I know that this is a time in which the rapture has already happened, we have been caught up into glory. We are standing before the great white throne of judgment. We still believe one day we will stand and give an account to God, right? We don't believe that we can just keep doing whatever we want and never give an account. You may not give an account on this side of eternity, but there will be another side of eternity in which everything that you've said and done you will give an account for amen and I have been meditating with God and I'm I'm a lover so I love to preach really messages that encourage but God has pricked my heart and the Lord told me that there is there is a goat nation rising up within the big sea the church of the nation and God is looking for sheep churches and we have come into a place in our life where we believe that we can do things however we want to do them we believe that our opinions actually can superimpose or become more important than the opinions of God we believe that there are things that we can do and we can say and we can go and we can and we can be a part of that God seemingly does not care about we don't consult the word of God in fact most believers have fallen out of love with the word of God when's the last time you just wept over a passage of scripture that you read that brought life into your being we have created total atmospheres of people who have become prophetic junkies you want the next word after the next word after the next word after the next word but we don't want to live according to the Bible Jesus did not say my sheep know my voice he said my sheep know my voice and obey my commands and we have come into a dispensation of time where we have a goat nation rising within the church we have people who are literally offending God's presence by the way we live and we act and we, we do and the, and the way we respond to things as if one day we are not going to stand before God and let me tell you they did not stand before God and be declared a sheep or a goat then they came to God as a sheep or a goat so the reason God's saying address this now is so that we can correct it before then he's the first and the last so this scripture was not just a, a, a dispensation in eternity in which we stand before God. This scripture is applicable in hermeneutics to even now. It means that you can read this scripture and it has a future and a present context. And I believe that, that we are living in a time 
in a dispensation of age where we, we are looking at churches on the rise, people on the rise, believers on the rise. I watched an article flash across my phone and I don't watch the news because it prophetically muddies me. I don't like all the depression in the news. I hate the news. Demons are in the news right now. So I don't even watch it. When I prophesy, it's from clearly a place of only divine encounter by God. And, and so, but I believe we're living in a moment right now, but I was uh, doing a video and all of a sudden, before I got on the video, this thing flashed across my scene and says, um, Christian leaders set to bless a new abortion clinic that opens. And it pricked the depths and I felt the justice of God well up in me. And in me, I'm here by myself and I said, they're not Christians at all. But because we've allowed this to continue on and on and on, and because people don't read their Bible anymore, as much as you know about Jesus, it's typically secondhand from the person you've listened to, meaning that oftentimes I can stand up here and say things are in the Bible, and you would never even question it or go look it up yourself. 69% of believers don't even read their Bibles. And we are gaining our convictions from goats. And it's causing us to become goats. I'm watching a leader say she's a Christian who took purity rings and made it into a sexual organ and dedicated to it. And I'm saying she's not even a believer. She's a goat. And all of a sudden purity no longer matters. Did you know that within the Wesley movement, John Wesley, if anybody ever uh, reads about revival history, I love revival history. John Wesley was a circuit writer. He operated by the power of God. The Methodist movement came birthed out of John Wesley and he would stand up on a tree and thousands of people, the stump, and would gather around him. He would begin to preach. People getting slain in the spirit and miraculously healed and baptized in the Holy Ghost. He preached one message, holiness as unto the Lord. And now the Methodist movement that was birthed out of John Wesley because they denied the spirit is now allowing people to come into a priesthood openly homosexual. And I'm saying it's a goat. You're a goat. Because you're not following the Bible. And this seems harsh, but the reality is, is that oftentimes we are making decisions and we are doing things as individuals that are outside of the confounds of the word of God. Gossip and slander. Killing our brother and sister. Life and death in your tongue. And we don't care because our conviction isn't from the word of God. And somewhere we've lost the conviction that one day there's a holy and just God who does exist. Who will judge us for this. We, we, we don't, we don't, we live our lives and don't care about the lost. We don't care about the hungry. We don't care about the needy. We don't care about the people who can't take care of themselves. We don't take care of the widows. We don't take care of the orphans. And we have conjured up this social Christianity that is about just coming to church and feeling good. 17 ways to a blessed life. And there's no conviction. There's no change within the depths of us. And we're not looking like Jesus, but we're confessing to be sheep. And we're leading a whole generation astray by the way we do life. Power, power does not mark you as a Christian. Prophecy does not mean you're a believer. Casting out demons does not mean you're saved. But looking like Jesus does, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control, discipline. And so we 
There's a couple of things. Number one, thank you, Holy Ghost. I'm going to bring this Bible down with me. There's a couple of things. Number one, sheep. We've preached this message that sheep are dumb for so long. I'm so sick of it. Show me a scripture in the Bible that says sheep are dumb. It don't exist. It don't exist. It was an attempt from the enemy to make you seem powerless, lack knowledge, lack wisdom, in order for you to search the scriptures and know what the Bible means yourself. It became an excuse for believers to say, oh, well, I just didn't know. Well, I'm telling you, ignorance, ignorance is bliss, and it doesn't stand before God. So Jesus never said sheep are dumb. Why do sheep need a shepherd? Not because they're dumb. And in fact, the reason that sheep have been dumbed down in America is because of all of the things we use to reproduce the sheep. But sheep didn't need a shepherd in, the, in those days because they were dumb. Sheep needed a shepherd because they had no defense mechanisms. They, ha- they had no way to defend themselves. You, shouldn't, you should never live under the umbrella that you're dumb. The devil's a liar. God didn't say that about you. He said, if any lack wisdom, ask it of me and I will give sparingly. James chapter one. And those here's the here's the reality. Back in those days in Europe and Africa. See, right now we can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat if we look at it in America. But if you go to places like Africa and Europe, there is not that big of a distinction between a sheep and a goat. They can actually look very similar to each other. They can look very similar to each other. It is within the way their characteristics, it is within the response that they begin to separate sheep and goats. Not by the way they look, because people can dress it up. We learned real good how to look like Christian, that Christianese, talk like Christians. We know the lingo of church. Oh, sister, I'm blessed. You ain't blessed. You need Jesus. Oh, brother, I'm doing great. You're not doing great. You're struggling. And we've learned how to, 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 to church and eyes Christianity in America and hide behind that. But did you know in places like Africa, the way they would distinguish a sheep and a goat is by characteristics, by the way they responded. Sheep weren't dumb. Sheep are so smart that once they got a shepherd, they wouldn't answer to anybody else. You could have 20 people yelling at that herd of sheep and they would not move until they heard the shepherd's voice. They had such an ear of loyalty to their shepherd that no matter who, that's why you couldn't just steal a sheep like that. The only way you could steal a sheep is to get it by itself. Because when a sheep's by itself, it starts to act like a goat. It believes that it can make it by itself. It believes that it has its own defense mechanisms. It believes that it can do all these things by itself. But you were never meant to be by yourself. You were always meant to be with people. And so that's how the wolf comes to steal because it has no protection around it anymore. Oh, I'm trying to help somebody. It wasn't because you're dumb. It was because there was no defense mechanisms. And, and so they had to learn how to listen to the shepherd. They had to learn how to listen to the voice that was going before them. And they would follow the voice so they wouldn't fall off cliffs. They would follow the voice so they wouldn't fall into pitfalls. There was holes in the ground dug by other animals so they don't fall in the holes as they were walking. And they would follow the shepherd and they would listen to the commands of the shepherd. And that's how they knew they belonged in that sheepfold. And the sheep that could not hone into the voice of the shepherd were slaughtered. Because they wouldn't have made it anyway. I'm trying to help somebody for a moment. My sheep know my voice and obey my command. So we're living in this dispensation of time where God is looking throughout the body. I told you everything's going to be prophetic. I'm telling you what God's heart is right now. 
where he's looking and saying, where's the sheep nations at? Where are the sheep churches at? Where are the churches? He said, I'm coming back for a bride that's without spot or without wrinkle. I'm coming back for a sheep bride. I'm coming back for a church that has yielded themselves to the word of God. People of God, there is nothing in your life more important than the word. There is nothing in your life more important than the word of God. The word of God should become more important than the air to you. You should desire it as much as you desire to breathe. Because your victory is locked in with the confoundments of knowing the God that you profess. How can we be Christians and not know God who we profess to be saved by? I'm trying to help you for a moment. We should desire, when we get saved, we should desire to be discipled by our Savior. We should desire to live like him and operate him and be like him. Everything that you will ever need, every question that you ever have is locked within the confounds of this Bible. It is holy. It is unfallible. It is unmovable. It is unshakable. It never changes. It never wavers. It never shifts its shadow. Everything that you will ever encounter, you can find how to deal with it in the word of God. So why is it that we formulate our own opinions on how to do things outside of the contextual understanding of God's word? I know this, this ain't something I'll get a lot of amens by. It should be. It should be. It, it should be that when goats walk into the church, you could spot them. Because you're led astray by a lack of knowledge. Oh, we're in the word right now. Knowledge. Understanding. Getting in the word of God. I remember the mamas, the old mamas of the church. They had it right, man. They would weep over the word as they prayed it. They would pray the word of God over people. They would pray the word over their sons and daughters. They would pray the word over their families. They saw their families transformed by the word of God. Did you know other religions actually esteem the word of God higher than most believers do? How is it possible that even if we look outside of the, uh, the religion of Christianity, which is not a religion, Christianity is not a religion. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Christianity is the only way because it is the it is the representation of Jesus Christ. But if we look into other religions like Islam, how is it that they have a false God who does not talk to them, who does not respond to them, who does not answer their prayers, but they can pray and read the Quran. By the time they're 12, they are accurately diverse within the Quran. By the time they're 12, they have been raised up within a false religion to know the Quran better than most Christians know in their entirety of their life. Did you know that if you're a, if you're a Muslim, you've got to at least know the first five books of the Bible? They teach the first five books of the Bible because they believe that they are the only descendants, rightful descendants of Abraham coming through Ishmael. And so they learn the first five books of the Bible. Most of us don't know the stories in the first five books of the Bible. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves. If we had to say, God, open my heart. I know this is hard, but this is the reality that God is wanting to make goat sheep again. When you get mad, how do you respond? When you get frustrated, how do you respond? What are the ways you act? How do you treat your brother and sister? Can you love your neighbor as yourself? How do you do these things? What does love look like in your life? Because this is on the heart of God right now. And it's very serious. Because God's looking down at believers and saying, you look a lot like the world. You, you respond like the world. First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits. They'll follow deceptive spirits. 
Another scripture says that in the last days, even the elect will be deceived. How? Because if you love God, you ain't just going to willfully follow spirits. How does that happen? It comes from lack of understanding the word of God. How are these spirits, the Bible says, familiar spirits? How deceptive spirits? How are they able to deceive a believer? Because we're not rooted in the word. So when they come, they're demons, but they disguise themselves as angels of, and they can sound a lot like God. The problem is, is they aren't telling the full truth. They're twisting the word. They're manipulating the scriptures. They, they spirits speak to your soul. The devil's never going to speak to your spirit because your spirit has to uh, follow the beckoning of God. But he'll speak to your soul. And when he speaks to your, your soul, if you're, the word of God has not rightly divided your soul and your spirit, you'll, you'll feel like it's speaking to your spirit. Because most of us are following our soul and not our spirit. That's why the word of God is important. It divides us. So when the enemy comes and he speaks to your soul, hey, Eve, go ahead and eat that. No, that's a soulish thought. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? So he comes and he speaks to your soul. But if you don't know the, the thoughts, the ways of yourself versus the ways of the spirit, the only way to know the ways of the spirit is to be in the word of God. Then you'll believe you're being led by the Lord. But it's your soul that's being led away. It's your soul. Your mind is being deceived. And how do you know? Number one, the enemy will cause you to become adrift to the word of God. Because in order to keep you deceived, he's got to keep you out of the word. Because the moment you read how Jesus handled something, you, you should, the light should shine on you and say, hey, I've been manipulated here. I remember one time, listen, church people, I love you, but sometimes you can make a preacher mad. And you can say the same thing about us, right? Come on, I love you, but sometimes you just, oh God. It's okay. I can handle it. I say it all the time. It's a, it's a love, it's a love, love relationship. You know what I mean? Sometimes we got to love a lot deeper than others. But I remember a time something happened and I was so frustrated with somebody because they were acting so ungodly and they were in positions of leadership and stuff. And I, and so ungodly. It's like, where in the world? It's like, I felt like when Jesus looked at James and John and said, what spirit are you of? That's what I was like. I was like, man, why are they, this is so foul. And I wanted to rise up and the spirit of God checked me and said, that's not how I would respond. You know what he did? He said, now go into the word and find out how to respond the right way. Because my first thought, I'll just rebuke them openly. I don't care. Now I'll just rebuke them. Paul says, make an example of them. I can find a scripture. Oh boy, we can find a scripture. Hey, I'll be rooted and grounded. <laughs> but it wasn't the right way in that situation. So you have to have context. Because the right way was to go to them privately, then take a brother or sister, and if they still don't repent, then you bring it to the church, and if they still don't repent, then you mark them and you hand them over, right? But how many of us have violated that scripture, and when you could have saved a relationship, now you look back and you have a trail of broken relationships in your life. When those relationships weren't supposed to leave your life, we just didn't handle them right. And when we don't handle things in the proper context of the word of God, we end up losing things that should be with us right now. And now we're hurt and we're wounded. And it's not because God doesn't desire a good thing in your life. You just don't know how to handle the good thing. You can't mishandle relationships and act like the world and then look up. And now you have this victim mentality. It ain't their fault. 
I know they didn't act right. I know they didn't do right. I know they hurt you. And I know he wounded you. But God said, I gave you the ministry of reconciliation. He that is spiritual, restore with humility. So if you're the spiritual one, if you find yourself acting or thinking that you are more spiritual, then why didn't you just lower yourself and go wash their feet and restore that relationship, bring them through deliverance and walk in love with them so that relationship is still walking with you today? But these are the things that separate us from goats and sheep. Why is it that we're raising a whole rebellious generation? We don't want to correct our children anymore. And all we're doing is cutting the days of life off their, off of them. Because the Bible says God made this covenant. And if you would honor your father, father and your mother, your days would be long on earth. And every time we allow our children to rebel against us, to not listen to correction, I don't care how old they are. You know, I'm 33 and my dad will still turn me over his knee and whip me. He don't care. Why? Because he is sparing the days on earth in my life. But we don't. When's the last time you heard the Ten Commandments preached in a church? I'll wait. I'll wait. You know, when I was growing up, we, we, thought we learned the Ten Commandments and how to recite them in children's church. Now they're no longer even important. We don't even preach them anymore. And, and we're, we're letting this goat nation rise up within the church because we're no longer being taught the ways of God. It's all about how you feel and the way you would do it. And if something don't make you feel right. But I've got news for you. The word of God should offend you when you read it. It should offend your mind. It should offend your soul. It should offend your emotions. When you're not lining up, it should offend you. When you read through it, it should prick your heart. Man, I, I talk to my mother. I don't care how old you are. You know, to this day, I've never even, uh, even when I was lost. Now, it would be bad if I did it today. But to this day, in my entire life, I've never even said a curse word around my mother. My dad, well, I'm scared of him, but no. He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. In fact, my parents and my in-laws both go to my home church. But, but, but my dad taught me. He said, you got to honor your mother and father. School shootings didn't happen just because we took God out of it. School shootings are taking place because we're breaking covenant with rebellion children. If you honor your mother and father, God says, I'll give you a covenant and make their days long on meaning it don't matter. God would, somebody could walk on a campus with a gun and God would arrest them right where they stood if we would start preaching that again. But because we broke covenant with God, but we're asking God to move and we've already broke covenant with him. God don't move to the sound of goats. He moves according to the sound of sheep. Where are the people that are still in covenant who are doing the things that I said the way I said to do them? We form philosophies and thought processes. And where's the truth at? Are you receiving this today? Because God's drawing a line in the sand right now. He is. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, man, we got to stop getting frustrated at God when we want to do things our own way. And he don't move. This ain't Burger King. It's the house of God. What do you mean you don't honor your leader? What do you mean you can just jump from house? You know, goats faint. Have you ever seen a fainting goat? I'm from Kentucky. You can walk past a fainting goat and it just. That's why I don't get impressed when people fall out in the spirit. You can be a fainting goat. You've fallen out just so somebody don't see and try to correct your problems. Impressed by that. 
pick them back up. Let's get done with it. You know, faint around me. I can tell when it's a faint and when it's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but but the same example is hopping from church to church and place to place. This ain't going my way. This ain't the way. Well, you know what? Until you walk in the shoes of a leader that leads a place, then you probably should pray for them and not backbite against them. Did you know you can fill a stable of sheep? Uh, put uh, Take a horse stable, place a stallion in there, put sheep all around it. Those sheep will never bite that horse. But you can put one goat in a, a stable with a horse and it'll bite that goat's or bite that horse's back legs and tail the whole time. Oh my goodness. What do you mean? Because last time I read my word, the Bible says that God places all people in authority. Oh, I got to read it. Are y'all loving me yet? See, we need some prophets with backbones who see part of a prophet's responsibility is when they see the church going wayward, they say, repent for the kingdom is at hand. There's prophets don't just give ooey gooey. No, we've gone astray and we need it. Narrow is the way people. Narrow is the way. We've brought in this thing up. We got preachers that won't even say that Jesus is the only way no more. We lost our mind. I don't care how offended. I would rather offend you with truth than stand before God with blood on my hands. Because I'm now accountable as a 33 year old man. You want to know what keeps me awake? What keeps me awake is not issues in this world. What keeps me awake is not problems I go through. You want to know why I stay awake and from midnight to 3 a.m. I pray and then I get back up and I pray more and I read. You know what pushes me into that place? Because in the deep part of my belly, I realize one thing. One day I will stand before a sovereign and holy God and I will give an account for every person who ever heard me across this mind, who ever heard the gospel come from my lips, who ever encountered my lifestyle and their blood will be on my hands so may i offend you on this side of eternity but may i stand before god with a pure and clean conscience on that side can i tell can i let you know something same thing goes for you every person that encounters your life you will stand before god for oh husbands when you get into eternity God don't hold your wife accountable for your family. But you know who he's going to call front and center? You. And you're going to have to give an account for your wife, your children, your grandchildren. Why aren't they serving the Lord? Unto the third generation. Why aren't they serving God? I can tell the measure of discipleship that happened within kids by your grandchildren. Why aren't they husbands? This, that, should, that should sober you. I'm going to stand before God. I got to make some decisions right now because God looks at you as the priest of the home. Why why isn't your wife in church? What do you mean your wife's not in church with you? What what does that even mean? Wives, if your husband's lost, you ought to anoint those pillows every day until the stench of it causes conviction in their life. (laughs) They just get tired of smelling oil on their pillows. Lift up the soles of his shoes and put anointing uh, cloths underneath those soles. So as he walks, the fire God burns his heels. He'll get tired. I promise. He'll get tired. I remember I went through a hard time. I'll tell you the story a little bit later, but I went through it. I'm looking up the scripture at the same time. I went through a hard time and I just got to a point where I said, you know what? I don't want ministry no more. I was young. I was like 18. See, I've been preaching since I was 16. 
traveling the world. And I was young and I said, man, I'm just sick of it. People just ruthless sometimes, you know. One, see, here's, here's the big thing. How many preachers I got in here? How many ministers of the gospel? So here, let me give you a little bit of wisdom. You got to learn how to be hard, but you got to learn the line between standing your ground and being bitter. Because a lot of ministers, you're hurt and you've crossed the line of being strong in the Lord and being bitter. And now what you say hurts people versus piercing them with conviction. God didn't call you just to beat the sheep all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I was living in a, a par- downstairs apartment of some ministers, and they're the ones who taught me how to pray. So I, when I was younger, how many young people we got love to sleep, amen? Yeah, I love to sleep. I would sleep till like 11 a.m. And that pastor and his wife, they prayed for like eight hours a day. No joke. No joke. In fact, they're the head of the prayer movement for a very prominent denomination in the whole state of Kentucky now. And he would he started waking me up. He said, you got to get up at four and five in the morning and pray. You're not allowed to sleep in no more. He said, because you need to know God. You need the early bird gets the worm. You need to wake up before God's ears are filled with everybody else's voices. (laughs) Amen. And I got in this place. And so I was like, man, I'm just done. So I, I had left some dress shoes at their place and I went back home for like several months. I was just, and his wife put, put on my dress shoes and she began to march around her house for months and declare the will of God over my life and pray and pray and march and march. And when she got tired, she, listen, this went on for almost 24 hours a day. She handed them off to somebody else on the prayer team and they started marching and marching. And when they got tired, they handed somebody. I'm here today because somebody stepped in my shoes and marched around declaring, God, they're going to do, I'm trying to help you for a moment. It works, people of God. Grab the shoes of your lost people and put them on. I don't care if they're too small. Let your feet hang out and march in those and declare that every step will be directed to the Lord. He'll be a lamp under their feet and a light under the path. My children will know the Lord. As for me and my house, they shall be saved. Hey, hey. Romans 13. Everyone, say everyone, must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from, so I don't care if you don't like them. He didn't say you got to like them to submit to them. I promise you this, that if they're doing wrong, God will handle them. God will handle, listen, no evil escapes the eyes of God. It's just a matter of time. But here's the greater reality. Why do we get into a place where we want authority to fall? What spirit have we come to that we actually want preachers to fall? Do you know how much of the kingdom gets hurt when preachers fall? Whatever. There's a difference in exposing and falling. Exposing actually comes forth so repentance hits the depths of our heart. Falling means to be cast away unreconcilable anyway whatever the devil's fallen right can the devil get saved okay rest my case for all authority comes from god and those in position authority have been placed there by so anyone who now watch this anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what god has instituted Listen to this last verse. And they will be punished. Those are deep words. You want to know why we struggle with that? How many people struggle? It's okay to say, yeah. It's okay. How many people struggle? Man, that, that's hard. That's okay. That's good. Thank you for being honest, man. You want to know why? 
Because we went through a dispensation of time where people took abuse, abused the sheep. So then the pendulum swung way over here. And we just thought, well, we no longer need shepherds. We hear God for ourselves, which you do. We don't need people to submit to. We don't need governing authorities. And what God is doing is balancing because on that side's goats. How many know, I don't know why I'm here. I did not mean to. How many know that you don't just pick a church? The Bible says God sets you where he believes you should be. That's what the word of God says. He sets you in a place. So you don't get to just get upset and leave the place. You don't get to get frustrated. You know what you do? You got to turn your ears and your mouth to heaven and begin to pray until you see the change that needs to be changed. But you don't get to get upset and forsake your, your post. You don't get to do it. I remember, listen, I served men of God my whole life before I launched into full-time ministry. I was an armor bearer. I cleaned their houses. I mowed their yard. I cleaned. I had some of the most phenomenal men of God I've ever served. Some phenomenal, some wretched. Some sheep, some goats. I served three men of God before I launched at 25 into my own full-time ministry. Now I've got 22 churches. We plant churches. I get to meet with literally kings and, and everything and give the word of the Lord to. But I served three great men of God. And I call them great regardless of what they did. But I served them. The last one I served stole $25,000 from the church. When one lick, that's not all the money he stole. That's what I saw. My wife said, I'm ready to leave. I said, God didn't release me. I'm knowing he's stealing from the church. I'm mowing his yard, cleaning his car, going around the nation, listening to him preach. I never lifted my mouth against him. My goal was to protect him. David said, who am I to touch the anointed one? The one that God set there, that I would be a curse for touching him. I didn't leave him. Everybody else was leaving. I didn't leave him. God didn't tell me to leave. And just because I knew something was going on that wasn't right, did not give me because God set me there. And I knew that if that man was going to repent, he needed people who would stay faithful to their post. Because regardless of what he did, nothing's unredeemable. Don't you ever put something on somebody else you don't want God to judge you by. We want to, we want to say, Oh, God judged them. Look what they did. I can't believe, but you don't want to, you got stuff in your life you don't want out in the open. What if God put your mind on a billboard? You know, you don't want that to happen, but we're quick. Oh boy, we're quick. Sheep, man. Oh boy. Cause why? Cause you go from being a sheep to a goat. You just want to start biting. That's the new goat sound. I don't know why I'm talking, but this is good stuff. It's good stuff. Why? Because we're rightly dividing the word of God. So I'm watching this man steal money from the church. Literally steal. I'm not just saying he was stealing. And I'm praying and I'm pushing. My wife said, man, I'm just, her stomach was turned. And I understand that. I get that. But I said, God didn't release me. Seven more months, I'm still serving this man. Serving this man. Still cleaning his car. People, my friends in ministry were making fun of me because the word had got out. Why are you over there in Lodabar? Why are you over there with that thief? Why are you over there? Because the word of I'm just minding my own business. Now they're making fun of me. My friends in ministry are making fun of me. Now they begin to think that I'm a part of something crazy. All I'm doing is staying faithful. All I'm doing is staying faithful. I didn't make one dollar serving this man of God. I traveled all over the nation with him. Because I wasn't there for money. I was there because I was called there. There was things I had to learn even in his mistakes. There were things that I watched him do that shaped my character today. Good and bad. Oh, you're not hearing me. 
I, when I watched him do that, I, that's when I made up my mind to place things in place so that it could never happen in my life. The devil can't tip me with money. I got too much, I got too much accountability around my life. But I had to see it in order to put it there because we're all susceptible. So I'm just moaning his yard. Boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, God says, it's your time to go. At the same time, he got a call inside. Here I am. And got asked to come and be a part of a mega church to preach where he wouldn't be the pastor, which would deliver him from the ability. His problem wasn't that he didn't love God. His problem is he had a flaw. He had a character uh, deficit that was going to make him a goat. It would make him literally fall away from God. So God had to remove him from being the only one in charge to being under some people that were in charge so that his ministry could still flourish and touch thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. At the same time God speaks to me, I'm walking up the door to tell him. He's coming out the door and says, I just got a call. I'm going to North Carolina. I said, good. God just told me my time was up with you. Why? Because God sent me there. And I don't get to just pick. Why? Because we got this. See, this is the difference in a sheep and a goat. This is what I live by. Narrow is the way. You want to know how narrow the way is? Hold your Bible up. And if you got an iPhone Bible, it's even narrower. (laughs) You set yourself up for that narrow way. That thing's thin. So I always carry this so I can get a little bit more grace. (laughs) I need the margins. (laughs) Oh, God, somebody's going to get a family Bible, just start packing it around. Hey, and they touch those big, thick ones. But God is in God is in this place right now where I, I tell people, see, one of the, the problems with tithing and offerings. I, why am I here? God is improper understanding. So we actually believe that we get a choice in tithing. When God says it belongs to me, tithing pre dates the law. Abraham was not an Israelite. He was uncircumcised. That's why even that's why when God encountered Paul, Paul could bring up the fact that he was uncircumcised and the gospel could go to the Gentiles. He predated it. How many know who Abraham tithed to? Mel Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And because the Bible says, if you read your Bibles, it says because he was uncircumcised, now we have become the seed of Abraham and whom he gave tithes to. It belongs to God. And so one of the things we do is we get in these crunches financially and we say, oh, well, God don't understand. He don't understand because it was never optional. Because that 10% doesn't belong to you. Now, see, I'm not Apostle Jennifer. I can say all this because what you guys, whether you guys obey God, don't don't mess with me. But it does mess with you. Because narrow is the way. We're not like goats. We don't get to pick and choose. We got to follow the whole word. We got to follow the whole Bible. It was never optional. That's why when you don't tithe, all hell comes against your life. You cannot tithe one time and it can set up a whole window for the enemy just to come in. And six months later, you're trying to correct something, but the enemy got in through that disobedience. You got to repent of that thing. It belongs to God. He said 10% belongs to me. Let me give you how much it belongs to God. You ready? I'm going to give you in in a way of anatomy. Did you know that within the confounds of your DNA, right? This is where our chromosomes exist. This is where we get our, the way we think, the way we look, the way we personify things. In your DNA, only 10% of your DNA is actively at use. 
that shapes your character, shapes the way you think, shapes the way you perceive, shapes your dialect, shapes the way your pigment color is, shapes all of these things. Only 10% of your DNA is used right now. 90% of your day DNA is nothing more than a dashboard that stores information. So even within the confounds of yourself, God said, you're my 10%. Oh, you're not hearing me. You have been set aside for me. I predestined, I preordained that one day you would fall in love with me and you would be my tithe back to myself. See, we, we got somebody say, you can't just read it. You got no way. That's the difference. I know I'm, I feel like I'm hitting a dead horse now. Don't lose me here. Don't lose me here. Don't lose me here. Because this is where we're at in the Bible. I got one more scripture. I don't even know if I have time to read it. Do I have time? 1 John. 1 John 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And his word will be a lamp and a, oh, somebody say it, a light under our feet. And his what? His word. If we are living in the light, his word will be a lamp under our feet and a, and life produces light. So when the word became flesh, life became light. Jesus in the flesh was the light that came from the word that was God that was life. And if we are living in the light, we are living with God. And if we're not living in the light, we're not living with God. We're not. We're living with God. Instead of putting firecrackers under your neighbor's mat, how about you bake them a cake? I was honorary as a kid. I used to blow up mailboxes with a... So now we help build. <laughs> it's my redemption. <laughs> so now we help build. We just opened a house for women to get them out of sex trafficking and stuff. It's my redemption. <laughs> but if we're living in the light, the word, right? Jesus made him flesh. Then now we're living with God. And if our life doesn't look like this, we're not living with God. It doesn't matter how much we say Jesus. You can buy a 99 cent sticker of a fish from Amazon and put it on the back of your car. They don't get you into heaven. Paul said, lest I preach this and I myself not make it. What was he talking about? He was talking about preaching a gospel and somewhere he got off the path and stopped following the message he was preaching. How often is it that in our life with Christ, we're serving him and serving him and somewhere we just straight, everything became more important than the word of God. Your families are not falling apart because of the devil. They're falling apart because the word of God is not the center of your family. What divides good and evil in your family? What shapes your kids' thought processes? Both of my kids, my daughter saved, she's seven, she's saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. I just led my three-year-old son to Jesus. Amen. Why? Because how could I preach to you guys in my own house go to hell? Amen. I refuse. So I teach them the truth and I govern their thoughts with the word, not with me. Why? Because dad lives under the word. They don't need dad's opinions. They need to know there's a sovereign God that shapes. And we cannot go without conducting ourselves the way the word of God says. So it's not just because dad or mom just says no. It's because God is real and he gave us a book to live by. And I'm not just giving you a yes or no because I want to be mean or I want to be nice. I'm giving you a yes or no because this shapes my life. And this has got to shape your life if you want to be victorious. It's got to shape your life if you want to succeed. It's got to shape your life if you want to win, if you want to finish your race. This has been a production of the Awakening Podcast Network. Jennifer LeClaire is the founder and owner of APN, 
Our heart is to inspire people and exalt Jesus with every broadcast. We're grateful for our advertisers and supporters that make these podcasts possible.